Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome back, folks. Joining us is Guy Williams, president of Gulf Coast Bank and Trust, as he does every Monday in the 12 o'clock hour, and we appreciate same. Uh, Guy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. Good to be with you. Guy, We've uh, I think last week we mentioned this, didn't really dig deep into it, but the Biden administration pauses liquid natural gas exports. It seems to have a shuddering effect uh, across the world. Uh, what can we make of this? Uh, for me, it seems as though the Biden administ- administration speaks with a forked tongue. Well, Unfortunately, you, you may well be right. It's rare that, you, that a decision is made by any administration that's so wrong on so many different levels. And certainly we're, we're affected most directly here in Louisiana because the uh, $10 billion Calcasieu 2 plant is the one that's targeted that won't go forward. But the other things that are really important to note, and we can talk about each of them individually, is first, we've made our allies less confident in the United States. Second, we've hurt the United States in terms of loss of employment and foreign exchange trade, because if we're not selling natural gas, we're not taking that money in or our balance of payments gets worse. Uh, we're doing it based on bad science and facts that are actually wrong. And finally, and the worst, is doing this actually will make the environment worse. So we're doing something in the name of green and in the name of the environment that actually increases emissions and increases instability around the world. So when you think about all those four areas, it's just hard to imagine a, a worse decision. And Probably ought to talk about each of them individually. Absolutely. Uh, let's with, well, let's start with that. Start with our, with? Let's start with our allies. I mean, you know, the timing of this couldn't be worse, right? Uh, we are advocating for folks to buy less Russian oil, less nat, nat, less natural gas from Russia, thereby trying to starve their economy from being able to wage the war that they're waging in Ukraine. And that's kind of how this whole, um, the impetus, not not the start of exports of LNG, but the, the rise in the exports of LNG got started, right? Oh, absolutely. And the, your four-tongue comment is, is applicable because in 2022, the president said, we pledge to work toward ensuring additional natural gas to Europe. We're going to, we, the United States, will make up the uh, natural gas that you're not getting from Russia. And that was a promise he made to the Europeans. Uh, The head of Eurogas, which is the conglomerate of all the different gas importers in Europe, 
uh, DDA Hollow, said it's essential that the U.S. stand with Europe during a time of war to protect our common values of democracy and freedom. And he went on to say the only person that can be happy with this is Vladimir Putin. So we've made our allies nervous, and it was interesting because in the European uh, Parliament they were talking about the natural gas in exports from the U.S. They said, of course, as these go on, it increases U.S. geopolitical influence. Well, if you reduce it, it's the exact opposite. It decreases U.S. geopolitical influence. So we're reneging on a promise we made. We're making uh, Putin happy. We're making the Europeans very nervous because they thought they could count on us. And it's making people around the world look at the U.S. and say, well, how long are promises good for? This was 2022. We're just in the beginning of 2024. So the U.S. promises have a year and change in value, or are they worth something beyond that? So our allies are very nervous, and they're wondering why in the world would we do this right now? One of the things that was intriguing, and uh, Jennifer Granholm is the uh, Secretary of Energy, she said, well, if necessary, for security reasons, we can always make an exemption and an exception. And I'm thinking, you're not understanding the picture at all. It takes years to get permits, further years to build a plant, billions to construct it, perhaps $10 billion, And then you have to run it for a while to make money. So the statement that, oh, don't worry, we can always make an exception – You can't make an exception. If you make an exception, it'll be years before a plan opens, and you have to find somebody foolish enough to think, well, I'm going to open a plant, make a long-term billion-dollar investment based on a temporary exception. You know, no corporation is going to do that. It's irrational. So when you say things like that, it really makes people think, you know, there's just no rationality to this. And certainly if I'm the president, I would really be – a bit embarrassed because you promised natural gas to Europe, and now you're saying, well, that was then, this is now. We're not going to do it. Yeah, and, and, and to highlight that um, Commonwealth LNG in Texas has been, no, in Louisiana, I'm sorry, in Cameron, has been waiting since November 2022 for approval. Here we are in, you know, approaching February of 2024, and they still haven't. Um, received all the approvals necessary, and they just reached agreements for about 50% of their capacity and was, uh, was they were going to um, have additional uh, investment made this year to grow on what the Biden administration had promised was going to be the, the track that they were going to take relative to the ex- uh, exportation of LNG. Yeah, the one thing that co- companies absolutely loathe is uncertainty. Because if you don't know the timeline, you can't analyze the value of an investment. And this throws a giant monkey wrench of uncertainty. And really what it's going to do is freeze all decisions until after the election. Because people are going to say, well, we need to wait and see. If the president gets reelected, was this just an election ploy to appeal to the far left of the party? And he'll come back to his more rational policy of 2022? Or... Is it where his real heart is? And, okay, now that he's a lame duck, he doesn't care. 
So a lot of companies are now going to be on the sideline, and these investment decisions are going to be paused. And the Europeans are going to look at the U.S. and say, man, we can't count on you. You're just not a reliable partner because you say one thing and then you do another, and your rationale for doing it is actually wrong. And that's that's sort of the embarrassing part, too. I mean, if you do something and you have a reason, at least you can understand that. But if you do something and the reason is not even factually correct, it really is embarrassing. And could you pick a worse time from a supply chain perspective and looking through that lens with everything that's going on with the Hooties and the Red Sea and people altering their trade routes and it's costing more money and it's taking more time to send this message? No, timing is awful because, you know, we now have ships going around Africa instead of through the Suez Canal. You now have genuine global uncertainty about, you know, what can be shipped where. And people are very, very nervous about the next direction. And the, the fear is that, you know, our our response to Iran killing American soldiers is going to be, you know, the same sort of tepid thing we've we've done in the past, blowing an up, empty warehouse up at uh, midnight. Or as uh, I forgot which president said it, said we're spending, it might have been Bill Clinton, we're spending million-dollar missiles to blow up $10 tents. And, you know, that's sort of where we are right now. So it, it really, on a geopolitical level, is very concerning because – if we become undependable, we will indeed lose geopolitical influence. And, you know, I sincerely believe it's better for the world to have a stable, strong U.S. than to let people like Russia and China rule things. Certainly that they haven't shown any propensity to protect human rights or to honor the trade agreements they've signed. But no, so we haven't even talk... talked about uh, – go ahead. I was going to say – into the let, long-headed let... Uh, science. Yeah, well, that. But let's first talk about loss of employment balance of payments because we we've got a big plant right there across the river from us, right? Uh, literally, uh, that's going to be opening soon. We have two in the Lake Charles Cameron area, um, one in expansion, one uh, new, um, and we have a lot of employment, a lot of construction, a lot going on with this. Yeah, I mean. You know, our economy in Louisiana is not as strong as we would like, but this is the real bright spot, this employment in Cameron, this employment in Lake Charles. And when you build a plant, you have a tremendous number of jobs that are involved. And you have the white-collar jobs, the engineers, the architects, the designers. You then have all of the blue-collar jobs building the roads, the infrastructure, the plants, and then you have the continuing jobs running the operation. So it's not just an investment. It's a substantial construction that adds to the tax base for the state of Louisiana. So once these things are built, they go on the tax rolls, and they provide money for education and just all the important things we want to do as a state. So we lose that. We lose the workers' employment. We lose the white-collar employment. And then we lose the ongoing employment of people working, you know, day in, day out to run these plants because they're, they're sophisticated. And, you know, Nunez College it, right here in uh, the metro area has a P-TECH program where they teach people to be plant technicians. Those are great jobs. You know, they're in the, the high 70s, 
pushing into 100 with benefits for somebody with a, uh, a degree from a community college. So that opportunity for people to better themselves disappears, the tax base disappears, and then on a global scale for the U.S., our balance of payments gets worse because now we're not selling that natural gas. So it, it's hard to imagine a worse economic outcome than what this will will pr- provide for us in Louisiana and in the U.S. One of the countries producing a lot of LNG and has made significant investments and has committed to make future investments is Qatar. Well, we also know that Qatar is helping finance Hamas and other terrorist organizations uh, because they make so much money there. They don't even know what to do with it all. They build buildings that they have no intention of ever putting anybody in just to keep people employed. Um, so when you think about this balance of payments and loss of our employment and, and turning all of this over to uh, Qatar to be able to be this, you know, the majority of the supply chain of LNG, that makes no sense either, right? No, it really doesn't. And you think about who do you want to have geopolitical influence? I mean, a small country in the Middle East that's not a democracy or the United States. And look, we're, our democracy has challenges, but we have legitimate elections and a genuine concern for human rights around the world. So I, I think it's better for us to be the one with geopolitical influence. And the the other big beneficiary is Russia, because Russia has surplus capacity to produce natural gas. And they're the ones that would really like to see the U.S. out of the market or the U.S. shrinking its share so that they can produce and sell more. Yeah, it just um, it doesn't make sense. So let's do this. Let's get to a break. When we come back, we'll talk about bad science and how this makes the environment actually worse in some cases. We're visiting with Guy Williams, president of Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, folks. We're talking uh, with Guy Williams, president of Gulf Coast Bank and Trust, and um, about the Biden's administration decision to halt LNG exports and to put things on pause. 
Let's talk about the science, uh, Guy. Yeah, this is an unfortunate uh, case of bad science resulting in a bad outcome. There's a climate scientist in at Cornell called Robert Horwath. He published a paper, not in a peer-reviewed journal, not in a scientific journal, but in the New Yorker. And what he said was natural gas, because of methane emissions during the uh, production and distribution, is worse for the environment than coal. Now, there were a number of problems with that. The first is he used a multiplier effect for methane emissions of 80 80 times the uh, CO2 emissions, but ignored the fact that methane emissions are not controllable. And we have we in the United States have been reducing methane emissions sub- substantially, and they primarily occur when you're flaring natural gas. Well, as that has gone out, and as the companies are doing less flaring and much more careful monitoring, the methane emissions are declining. Now, it's an indisputable fact that burning natural gas reduce is uh, significantly better for the environment than burning coal. So the only way you get to saying it's worse is when you look at external events like methane during the production of natural gas. And that is controllable. That's something that uh, has been declining. And if you look at U.S. emissions, we've actually improved our greenhouse gas emissions over the last five years, primarily by switching from coal to natural gas. So the actual results are to demonstrate conclusively that natural gas is far better for the environment than burning uh, coal. And this study, which, which, which once again wasn't in a scientific journal, was published in the New Yorker. The uh, left wing grabbed onto that, and the green crew said, well, let's stop exporting American natural gas. Now, the other part of the science that is indisputable is the United States has significantly lower emissions of both CO2 and methane per unit of production than Russia. So if you stop U.S. exports, the demand doesn't go down. It's just shifted to whoever will produce. So if we stop using relatively clean U.S. natural gas, relatively dirty Russian natural gas will be used more. So you're at, this would actually make the environment worse and it's really distressing that people are not looking at this and understanding this is a chance to hurt the u.s hurt the hurt our allies hurt the economy but also hurt the environment and it's deeply distressing that we're we're falling for this and it really is unfortunate because you look at the u.s we're one of the countries that had the greatest reductions in greenhouse gas and Russia is eager to sell all the gas they can. They're building a pipeline to send their natural gas to China. And so they already have one pipeline, Siberia 1. They want to build Siberia 2 and burn dirtier natural gas. So it would be far better for us to export the cleaner version, far better for the environment and certainly for our economy as well. And if you limit the supply, doesn't it encourage some of these uh, lesser developed nations to go to a cheaper alternative, just burn coal? Oh, absolutely. And that's the challenge. Demand for electricity is going up. It's going up all over the world. It's going up for good and bad reasons. 
it's, you know, the Bitcoin group uses a tremendous amount of electricity to mine Bitcoin. But in developing worlds, people want to have a nice standard of living. No one wants to go back to no washer dryer. I remember when my wife and I were first married, as soon as we could have our own washer dryer and not have to go to the laundromat, that was a good day. We were really happy. Well, people in India, Indonesia, Africa feel the same way. They don't want to have to, they don't want to live without a washer dryer. Those are consumers of electricity. When you cut off relatively clean U.S. supply, the demand for electricity doesn't go down. It's just replaced by dirtier sources like coal or like Russian natural gas. So we're we're really creating a problem because we're ignoring the reality that the world is round and that demand is continuing to increase. So we're, we're putting the uh, developing countries in a position where they're going to have to use dirtier fuel sources in order for us to indulge a fantasy of improving the environment by doing something that's actually counterproductive. What's amazing to me is that um, no one's ever claimed that these other sources of energy don't have a climate footprint, right? They all do. Uh, but course, what I find, but what I find equally mystifying is that you never hear the climate footprint in the development of the infrastructure of, of green energy. And, you know, th these products are all made through the same processes, <laughs> you know, when you make plastics, when you're, when you're mining metals and you're making things out of, out of metal. I mean, it, it's amazing how once we label something green, we are completely devoid of whatever climate footprint is there in the production of those materials. Well, and that's where a, an analysis of the whole life cycle is important. And we, we really don't have a handle yet on the whole life cycle of the uh, batteries being used in EVs. I'm still a believer in the EV technology. I think it's going to eventually be the predominant uh, way that we power cars. But I think if we push it too fast and ignore the uh, the cost in the short run, we can actually make the environment worse. And I, it's certainly true that we've ignored the uh, carbon footprint. One of the things that people ignore is when you build a big turbine, a big wind turbine, you, you get nice electricity, and it, as long as the wind's blowing, it's generated. But they don't last forever. You know, they have carbon fiber or fiberglass blades. Well, after a number of years of exposure to the uh, weather, they have to be replaced. That in-use replacement is never considered in the uh, calculation of the total cost of doing a uh, wind turbine. And the other thing is the turbine parts wear out, so you, they're not forever. So, so it is a little bit disingenuous to the way things are measured, and they're they're measured politically, not economically, which is unfortunate. I, I really wish we would just have a, a tax on carbon and then let the market sort out what's most effective. And I think we, we'd see lots of innovation and probably a cleaner environment faster than what we're doing, where we're trying to subsidize this or that, and then occasionally make these counterproductive decisions like the LNG decision. Yeah, I mean, and I get I get there's both sides to every story. Um, it'd be nice if we got everybody in the room and, and debated this topic, right, as to where we're going to go in um, the near term, short term, mid term, long term as we transition. 
and it's almost disingenuous on on some people's part to think that LNG would not be a good transition product uh, while we continue to develop other alternative sources, right? Yeah, and I think most people recognize that it is a wonderful transition product. It's why the U.S. is reducing emissions faster than Europe, and certainly we're reducing emissions while China increases them. And, you know, back to the the bad science. You have a country that is already showing that you can almost eliminate methane emissions. Norway has cut them almost down to nothing, and they've eliminated flaring. They've they've made better uh, pipeline inspections, and these are all things we can easily do to make the uh, natural gas even better. And I think a rational approach to the environment and to solving this problem is what's needed. But you know, we tend to do it a little bit here, a little there. Then we subsidize things that are politically popular. We try and penalize things that are not popular. But we're not really accomplishing the goal, and we're not getting there as fast as we could if we worked at it a little more efficiently. It's kind of the same approach as sitting down with Hamas, right? I mean, they're, they're advocating for the annihilation of the Israelis, and if you're in the fossil fuel industry, you're being asked to sit down across the table from someone who wants to annihilate the fossil fuel industry. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. harbor, you know, <laughs> a great environment to sit down and and try and, and talk through the near term, mid term, long term. Well, the other thing people forget is, even if we quit using fossil fuels to run cars and vehicles. You still need them to make plastics. The whole petrochemical industry uses natural gas as a feedstock, uses oil and gas in the uh, production of things like carbon fiber, which are used for airplane fuselages, turbine blades. So there's going, you can't eliminate the industry. So here people say that we've got to decarbonize. Well, it's impossible because your cell phone case is plastic, which the feedstock is a petrochemical. So rationality needs to reenter the discussion to let's reduce emissions. Let's get our climate in the shape we want it, but let's do it in a way that makes economic sense and recognizes that the world's round, that you, if you do something really dumb in the U S so you can meet a carbon pledge, but you make it worse in Africa and Asia, you've actually made the environment worse and you've patted yourself on the back for doing something that, didn't really help globally. Yeah, I mean, uh, and there, there's no right answer here, right? I guess at the end of the day, I mean, there are compromises that have to be made, um, and 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 without them, um, there's just not a a deadline date. Oh, by this date, we're out. Well, yeah, okay. and that that can't happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, political dates don't work. No, no, not at all. All right, we got to get to a break. We're visiting with Guy Williams, president of Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. We will be right back. Stay with us, folks. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.
Visiting with Guy Williams, President, Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. Guy, let's pivot to employment. It seems as though there's a trend of uh, new white-collar layoffs. They really are. And uh, economists are getting a bit nervous about the numbers because what they're saying is it may well be that we're overcounting openings. We've always talked about their, you know, 1.2 openings or 1.5 for every job unemployed person. But what they're discovering is some of the jobs that are potentially remote are being advertised in two places. So we may be overcounting. The other thing is, as uh, costs have gone up, companies are starting to lay off folks. And you have numbers that are really pretty scary. Citigroup, we're going to eliminate 20,000 people. You know, Lloyd's of London are insurance people, and we love to talk about insurance, 1,600 people. BlackRock, who's one of the most successful companies in the world, 3% of the workforce. Salesforce, another 700. Levi Strauss, the jeans people, 15% of the workforce. Microsoft, 1,900. Amazon, Google, both laying off hundreds of people. So we're seeing white-collar layoffs, and one that I never thought I'd see, Sports Illustrated, cut all their staff. You know, I remember the fun of reading Sports Illustrated once a week, and apparently their day has come and gone. Uh, so we're seeing a, a new trend of white-collar layoffs and a new trend that maybe the uh, job opening numbers are being double-counted. And also, um, what's what's going on with remote workers? Uh, there's an observation that you and others have made about they're, they're missing out on promotions. They really are. And if you think about it, it's hard as an employer because typically when you get promoted, it means that you're managing a bigger group or a team. Well, it's hard to know if somebody that you don't ever see is capable of management. And normally, if they're in the office and you've interacted, you've seen them, you've talked to them, you see how they interact with other people and you think, okay, this person is ready for the next step. The remote worker doesn't have that advantage. So I would advise anyone who's doing remote work, for goodness sake, if there's an option to get in a day or two a week and you want to get promoted, by all means, find a way to get in front of the uh, rest of the staff so that they can get to know you. But for people that aren't in the office ever, they're, they're not getting promoted with the same frequency of folks that are. So it's attractive to have a remote job. It gives you a lot of flexibility, but it also can be career limiting. So people are beginning to see, you know, I like this remote job, but I'm not moving up. So there, there's real danger in that if your objective is to move up in the corporation. Social interaction is still important, right? And it still leads to positive outcomes. It really does. And the other thing is when there's a layoff, it's a whole lot easier to lay off somebody that you don't see. I mean, no there's one. No, there's no there's, emotional attachment. No one wants to anything, lay people right? off. Yeah. You're not emotionally invested. You don't have coffee yeah. with them. You, haven't dis- you don't know, you know who their family members are, if their kids play soccer. It's a remote number, so you just, okay, we've got to lay somebody off. We'll lay this person off in Idaho. So there is some real danger to remote work. Do you see the fundamentals of cutback management changing? I mean, I've always said as a manager, cutback management is horrible. It's just a, it's just a terrible process. It, 
uh, it's the toughest one out there. And those that are experts in doing it, and there and there are, um, you know, it, it, it's just something that you really don't enjoy. Do you see the principles of that changing? I really don't. Uh, I mean, you do have people that are, are experts in that. You remember George Clooney in that movie. He traveled around cutting people yeah. off. But uh, I do remember in 2008 during the financial crisis, I was at a convention, and I happened to hear two HR people uh, talking. And it was startling because what one said to the other is, you know, I'm sort of happy about this downturn and the big layoffs. And the other one looked at me and said, why is that? He says, I can finally fire those whining slackers that I've had to put up with for the last few years. And I thought, wow, that's a breathtaking <laughs> approach. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you God. remember the era of, you know, you have to you have to accommodate everybody's needs and desires, and it, it might have gotten a little out of control. I think the new dynamic is the employee needs to be valuable to the company, and the company needs to provide a place for the employee to succeed and really there has to be a balance between the two and some of that has been lost the uh the stress of rising cost and competition has pushed a lot of companies to make decisions they didn't want to make and unfortunately some of the people that had an entitlement mentality are going to be the very first to get let go because the company's going to say okay well this this person's always complaining about something so you know, tough luck. How'd you go? Now, you have some ideas for folks in the instance of them getting a bonus and how to spend that. Tell us. Yeah, I do. This is a, this is a time of year where some people are getting year end bonuses. You know, a lot of companies are still doing well. And what we as a bank advise people is before you get a bonus, make a plan. And one of the plans that we've seen people succeed with through the years is to buy is to divide the bonus in three parts. You know, one part is uh, reduced debt, take one third to reduce debt, one third to save, and then spend the last third with a clear conscience. And it's interesting because I was reading about people getting bonuses and what their plans were. One person's plan was to fly to Las Vegas, gamble on the weekend and buy some expensive shoes. And I thought, well, that's, that's a plan. I mean, you'll end up with the shoes, and that's the only thing you'll end up with. My fear is they'll end up with credit card debt from the gambling when that gets out of control. But I think if you do the one-third, one-third, one-third plan, you know that you'll reduce your debt. You know that you put some in savings. And then there's something about spending with a clear conscience. You say, okay, now I'm going to take this one-third and do something fun, whether yeah. it's a meal, whether it's a, something you buy at the store, just whatever you like to do. So I think planning in advance, because otherwise it, it, it arrives, and without thought you may do something that you're really not in the long run happy with. And those are all common goals that folks have, right, uh, to have less debt, to have more money in the bank, and, and to enjoy the fruits of their labor, right? Exactly. And, uh, you know, our CFO often says, you know, when you pay down debt, you're putting more options on your side of the table. When you get deeply into the debt – you're giving away your options because you have to work to pay off that debt. You know, if you get your debt paid off, you have the flexibility to travel more, to take a different job if you want to. If you're really buried in debt, the option of retiring early is not available to you. So you've given up options. And 
So we, we encourage people to, to pay down their debt so they, they get more options in their life. And last, uh, let's touch on the employee retention tax credit. More problems? Oh, no. This is, this is another one of those things. This is not, not quite as dumb as the natural gas move, but the, an IRS commissioner was talking to a congressional committee, and somebody just in a sidebar said, well, how many of the claims this year are fraudulent? He said, I don't know, maybe 90%. It's like, son of a gun. This is a program that is supposed to alleviate COVID problems in 2020. Why are we still accepting applications? And the applications can run through, for some of it, April of 24 and some April of 25. Now, there is a congressional move to to cap that and just end it at the end of this month. But it's crazy that we're still accepting applications. And the worst part for small businesses, We've had some small businesses that did an ERC application, got the money, and the company that promoted, oh, file with us, we'll do all the paperwork, took 30%. IRS came back and said, no, that you weren't entitled to that. You have to give it back. Well, the company went to the uh, one that filed the application and said, look, we had to give it back. Said, did you read the fine print? That's not our problem. So now they have to give the money back to the IRS, and they're out the 30% from the, uh, the guys that encouraged them to file. So it's hurting small business. It's hurting the taxpayer. And as I say, that IRS commissioner said, we're looking at maybe 90% fraud at this point because this is a COVID problem that should have ended years ago. That, that's an absolutely incredible, 90% fraud rate. <laughs> yeah, and, Newell, you know, you and I have talked about budget deficits, this program was expected to cost $55 billion. It has cost $260 billion and growing. So grossly over budget, probably, I think the IRS guy's right. I think it probably is about 90% fraud, particularly in the later filings. And this is something we really need to, to get our hands around and get, get some of that money back for the taxpayers. No doubt, for sure. This hour has flown by, as always. Guy Williams, thank you so much for joining us. Always appreciate your time, your insight. Have a great week. Oh, you're very welcome. You too. Bye-bye. Folks, that's Guy Williams, President of Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. We'll be right back, and we'll check in with Scoot. Stay with us. Scoot's up next. What do we have coming up, Scoot? We'll talk about the uh, NFL playoff games over the weekend. Did everybody see enough of Taylor Swift? What about that big kiss on the field? Wow, maybe they really are in love. We'll talk about that. Also, um, you know, tragedy in the Middle East. Uh, three U.S. soldiers are, uh, are dead, so we'll deal with that as well. All righty, Scoot's headed your way. Stay tuned, folks. Hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll see you again in the morning. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 